0: So, to begin our message today, I want to ask you, how do you see other people? How do you see other people? And we should start by saying, do you see other people? So, when you interact with other people, so throughout this week and even as you've come in this morning, how much do you stop and see other people? How much do you actually tune in to what's going on for other people? How much do you notice about other people? And what are the first things that you end up noticing when you see someone else? Is it their hairstyle? Is it their clothes? Is it uh, their accent if they start talking? Is it their cultural background? What are the first things that you observe when you encounter someone? How do you see them? And then if you do sit down and you have a conversation with someone and you start to hear a bit of their story, what do you notice happens for you? Do you start to tune in and try and find some of the ways in which your story connects with them? Do you imagine what it must be like for them? You try and put yourself in their shoes. Or do you sometimes feel a sense of obligation? What's this person going to ask of me? If I start to hear too much, are there some things that I'm going to have to do and that's going to create a task list for me? How do you see other people? Today we're continuing our series which is called The Way of Jesus, which we're uh, using as we make our way through this season of Lent, uh, the time leading up to Easter, where we take some time to prepare ourselves so that we can reflect and celebrate what Easter means to us. And so this year we're focusing on some of the snapshots of Jesus' journey to the cross that we read about in the book of Luke. Uh, But we're also using that as an opportunity to unpack some of the practices of Jesus that we see in those different snapshots and what it looks like for us to be able to embrace The way of Jesus. And so last week we spent some time talking about the way of worship and unpacking Jesus heading into Jerusalem and the crowds saying how amazing Jesus was and declaring him as king, and Jesus uh, saying when the Pharisees pushed back against that, that if everyone was quiet, even creation itself would sing out about who Jesus was. And so we talked about worship being about us declaring praise aloud, enthroning Jesus as king, but also recognising that it is about us joining in with the praise and the worship that's happening all around us 100% of the time with creation. And so this week we uh, released a special podcast, uh, and I'm tempted to ask how many of you did it, so I'm not going to this week, but it may happen in a future week, so just prepare yourselves. Uh, But we hope that some of you use that. I know some of you have, because we've had conversations about it. It's just a 10-minute podcast that we want to be able to use to stretch ourselves a little bit further in these practices that we're talking about. And so I hope that some of you did take the podcast with you on a walk out into creation to explore that theme of the way of worship a little bit further through this week. And so today we're continuing that by talking about the way of compassion. So if you have your Bible with you, you can open up to Luke chapter 19. And if you have the Bible app on your phone, then you can go down bottom right to more and then events and you'll see our rundown there. And we encourage you to take some notes about the things that jump out for you so that you can keep thinking about that as we head into this week. The context for this passage that we're going to look at today does follow on directly from what we unpacked last week. So as I said, uh, Jesus riding into Jerusalem, the crowds declaring Jesus as their king and how incredible that was. Uh, And as Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem, we have this snapshot where he kind of stops and he looks out over the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, out over the Kidron Valley And this is what we end up reading. Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 41 to 44. As Jesus came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that all of you people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. One of the things that always amazes me about Jesus is his ability to be able to be present fully, regardless of what is going on around him. And I want you to put yourself into Jesus' shoes and try and imagine what it must have been like for him as he was riding into Jerusalem and reaches this point. So there are crowds all around you shouting, singing praise, singing that you are the king and how amazing you are and how awesome it is that you've come in to rescue Israel. You've got these Pharisees who were chipping in their thoughts as well and then you've got this reality about recognising like even creation is singing about how amazing and awesome you are. It's really hard for us to put ourselves in Jesus' shoes, but I want you to try your best and think about what you would be paying attention to if you were Jesus. Would you be tuning into the crowds and the adoration that was coming your way? Would you be tuning into the pushback from the Pharisees and what they were saying, getting a bit frustrated that they're kind of disrupting what seems to be a really, really good thing? Would you be tuning into creation, and listening to what's happening aside from the crowds and the Pharisees? Is there a sense for Jesus where maybe his thoughts started to turn to this idea that maybe they can actually overthrow the Roman government? This is what everyone else was expecting. And so a sense of like, there's all these people and they seem to be getting on board with this message of what the kingdom looks like. Maybe actually we could do something really, really amazing here. Did Jesus know anything about what was going to happen in terms of specifically what the crowd would do less than a week later? And so was there a sense of Jesus feeling torn? He's like, yeah, it's great that you're all praising me now, but I know what you're going to do later on in the week. We know that Jesus wouldn't have done this, but I think for most of us, if we were in a situation like that, we had all these people shouting how awesome we were, we'd kind of puff our chests out a bit, that's pretty good, all these people saying these good things about me, we'd be excited about it. So imagine all of that is swirling in your head, and yet Jesus in this moment, as he reaches the Mount of Olives, as he looks out over the city of Jerusalem, is able to somehow turn his attention to them to see the faces in Jerusalem, to see the homes, to see the marketplaces, to see the temple, to see what's going to come. Jesus knows what's going to happen to this city, and in the midst of all that's going on, Jesus is moved by all of that. It is important for us to name that the destruction of the temple, which we know happened in AD 70, is something that Jesus gives a lot of attention to, particularly in his final days. He spends a lot of time talking to his disciples about what's coming and talking to them about the persecution they're going to face, but also this sense of destruction that's going to happen to this amazing city. And it is important for us to recognise that because often we take a lot of those passages that are directly related to what's going to happen to the temple and we project them out as prophecies for end times. So we assume that's what's going to happen at the end of the world when a lot of it is actually about what was going to happen less than a generation later in Jerusalem. And so we do have to be a little bit careful about how we interpret some of those passages because we can project some things that maybe weren't ever supposed to be there. I was wondering this week what would happen if we did recognise that a lot of those passages have already been fulfilled because of what happened to the temple. Which other passages of Jesus' teaching would we pay more attention to when we think about end times and we think about prophecies if we kind of put those aside? We can't dig into that today. We don't have enough time. But it might be a question that you would like to ask in a future Q&R. We'll see. But Jesus does know what's coming specifically to Jerusalem. He knows that the temple is going to be destroyed and that Nero is going to come in and really wipe a whole bunch of things out. And so he says, how I wish you would understand the way to peace. Remember that whenever we read this word peace, we're talking about shalom, which is so much more than just the absence of conflict. It's about wholeness, about completeness, everything being the way that it's supposed to be. And we remember that at this moment, Jesus is sitting on a donkey. Which is really, really important because uh, that is also a symbol of peace. If someone wanted to ride in because they're about to declare war, or someone was coming in based on the spoils of war and a victory that had been won, they would ride in on a big horse, looking really, really impressive. But a ruler coming in on a donkey is symbolic of it being a time of peace. And so Jesus is very, very focused on that. But I wonder how you read or more importantly, interpret the tone of what Jesus then says here. I think it's fairly easy to read these words as condemning and judgmental. You can kind of read it, Jesus is kind of saying, it's too late, it's all been hidden from you, the enemy's closing in, you're all going to be crushed, and it's all because you didn't pay attention. If you'd just paid a bit more attention in class, then none of this would have ended up happening to you. Sometimes we can project those things onto Jesus, that he's being really, really critical of the way in which people have responded. Well, now it's too late and you've missed out. We have to remember that Jesus' response as he looks out over the city is to weep. Other translations talk about Jesus bursting into tears. This isn't just a single tear rolling down Jesus' cheek. This is Jesus being moved so much... He bursts into tears, that he weeps in front of the people who were there. There's this deep sense of grief and sadness, knowing what they're going to miss out on, knowing what's going to happen instead of the path that they could have walked. Matthew also talks about this encounter in Matthew chapter 23, and we read these words. Jesus saying, "'O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers.'" How often I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and desolate. For I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We can again read Jesus' sense of grief and sadness. How much I wanted to just bring you together. Now, Matthew may have these events happening a little bit later on in the week. We don't necessarily know whether Matthew's saying that this kind of happened at the same time as when Luke has it or whether it's a little bit later on in the week and maybe Jesus goes back to the Mount of Olives and then says these words. In a lot of ways, it really doesn't matter because, again, we can tap into this sense of being able to see and experience Jesus' grief and sadness and his desire to just wrap his arms around the people of Jerusalem to say, I know what's coming for you. It's going to be so hard. Something I read this week likened this to the idea of a parent seeing their adult child making a whole bunch of decisions that they know are going to cause pain and suffering and destruction, but not being able to do anything about it. It's like, oh, I can see the path. I wish I could just wrap my arms around you. I wish I could protect you from it, but there's nothing that I can do. That's the emotion that Jesus has got in this moment. And so we ask ourselves, as we come back to this image of what Jesus is going through and everything that's swirling around him and everything that's coming for Jesus this week, all of the experiences that we know he's facing and everything that's going to happen as he heads towards the cross, everything that's going to happen as these people are going to turn their backs on him this city that is literally going to kill Jesus, why on earth would Jesus be moved and feel grief for them? And the only answer really is what we're unpacking this week, this idea of compassion. Compassion is about us being, putting ourselves into someone else's shoes of being moved to action. Original translation of compassion is about being moved to the gut. It's actually gut-churning in terms of what's going on in our experience of that. And Sometimes we're a bit unsure about the difference between empathy and compassion. Empathy is us entering into someone else's experiences and feeling the emotion that they're feeling. That's what empathy is. Compassion is empathy plus action. It's empathy in terms of entering in and experiencing what someone else is going through but being moved to the core of who we are so much that we can't not do something. We have to be able to do something. And we know that Jesus so often throughout his life lived this reality out. All the way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read these stories of Jesus being moved with compassion for individuals or for groups of people and needing to act I was thinking of a few examples this week. That uh, One of my favourite interactions is Jesus with the woman who had been bleeding for years and years that we read about in Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 8 where Jesus is again around a massive crowd of people and Jairus, the synagogue leader, comes to him and says that his daughter is dying. And so Jesus is like, right, let's go. He's going to go and heal this young girl. And while he's on the way with the crowds all bustling around him, this woman who has been bleeding for years and years and years, which has meant that she's experiencing social isolation, incredible pain, spiritual isolation, sees Jesus, thinks, if I could just reach out and touch his cloak, if I could just reach out and touch him, then I would be healed. So she does that, and this again blows my mind, that Jesus is surrounded by crowds of people, on his way to go and heal someone else, and yet is so present that he's able to stop and recognize what's happened. But he doesn't just move on. He stops and scans the crowd to say, somebody just touched me. His disciples are like, what are you talking about? Of course someone touched you. There's people everywhere, Jesus. says, No, no, something happened. And he waits until he finds her, and then he looks her in the eyes and makes sure that she receives everything that she needs. Jesus sees her. Jesus knows what she needs, and Jesus acts to heal her and enable her to be able to re-enter back into society. I was also thinking about a few chapters before these events that we're looking at, Jesus with Zacchaeus. Again, Jesus with a massive crowd of people walking along, and this little guy, Zacchaeus, wants to just catch a glimpse of Jesus. It would be so great to just be able to see him, and so many of us are very familiar with the story where he climbs up a tree, and Jesus somehow as the presence of mind amongst all of the crowd of people to be able to see up there in the tree, there's Zacchaeus. He sees him. He knows what he needs, and he responds, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm going to come and have dinner at your place tonight because he knows how meaningful that will be for Zacchaeus and where Zacchaeus is out. One more snapshot. I was thinking about Jesus with Mary and Martha at Lazarus's death, so uh, Luke, uh, John chapter 11, sorry, Jesus goes to see his friend Lazarus. We know that Jesus was very good friends with Lazarus and Mary and Martha and Jesus knows that Lazarus has died and Jesus knows that he's going to go and heal Lazarus. That's super important to recognize. He says it to the disciples and then when he gets there, he says it to Mary and Martha that he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet... When Jesus gets there and sees the level of grief that's on Mary and Martha and the other people's hearts, we have those very, very famous words. Jesus wept. It's staggering when you stop and think about it. Jesus knew that he was about to heal, uh, to raise Lazarus from the dead. So it was all going to be over. And yet Jesus saw them, he knew what they were going through, and was moved to the core understanding completely what was going on. You may have other interactions that you can think of where Jesus interacts with someone, where Jesus sees someone, he knows what they need, and then he responds. The way of Jesus, even in these final days, even in everything that Jesus is going through in these moments, is about the way of compassion, seeing people, really genuinely seeing people, entering into how they're feeling and needing to act. And so as followers of Jesus, as people who are apprenticed to Jesus, as people who want to live the way of Jesus, we're called to the way of compassion as well, to see people, to enter into how they're feeling and to be moved by it. And so I was thinking about that this week. How often do I allow myself to do that? Or How often am I distracted by other things and I don't see people? Many of you are very aware that I'm a very task-focused person. I love to get things done, which is really, really great. But it does have a dark side to it, that it can mean that I'm very focused on getting things done. And particularly those of you who happen to be around earlier on a a Sunday when we're getting ready for our gatherings or afterwards when there's things happening might have experienced that and have just walked straight past you and not seen you. Maybe you've had that experience because I'm in task mode. I've got to get these things done. There's lots to do. The way of Jesus is about stopping and seeing people. And it's a huge privilege. I've loved being able to have coffees with so many of you and to be able to hear your stories and enter into what's going on for you, to understand what's happening in your lives and what you're working through. And the way of Jesus means that's an opportunity for me to be moved to the core of who I am by what's going on for you. Now, That doesn't mean that it's my responsibility to fix everything that's going on in your lives. Sometimes this is why we can kind of stray away from wanting to feel too much compassion because it can feel overwhelming. We have to recognize that ultimately our needs are met in Jesus. It's not our responsibility to try and fix everybody else. Another challenge for someone who's a doer. But there are things that can be done. The opportunity to just sit with someone and to listen So many of you would have had that experience. Knowing when someone sees you and hears you and knows your story and knows what's going on for you, that alone can be incredibly powerful. It's a huge gift that we can give other people. Knowing that you're believed, knowing that someone actually cares, being able to stop and pray with someone, to be able to say, let's just talk to Jesus about what's going on for you in the situation that you're in right now being able to help people to find other connections with people who might be going through similar things or someone else who can help out in different ways. All of those are acts of compassion. I love the stories that I've heard about people who are taking someone else a meal because they know that they just could do with having a night off or because they're at home and they just need something. People offering to give someone else a ride, just checking in with someone, sending someone a message, giving someone a call, Sending someone a card or a letter and saying, I'm just thinking of you or I'm so grateful for you. All of those are acts of compassion. We have the opportunity to enter into what someone else is going through and be moved to action. We know that compassion does then grow to something that is much more significant because when there are a lot of people who are going through similar things, people who are from certain neighbourhoods or people who are from certain backgrounds or people who are in certain situations or going through similar uh, struggles, there's opportunities for us to then be able to join together and say, how can we be moved by that to be able to do something? That's why we had the quiz night on Friday night we put ourselves in the shoes of people in Turkey and Syria, Like we have to do something. And so we're moved with compassion for them. But all of it, at the end of the day, starts by seeing people and seeing people the way that Jesus sees them, being able to enter into what's going on for them and feeling compassion for them. And so this week, We want to continue uh, our practices in terms of not just habits that we want to form, but actually practicing something because it can be hard for us to get going with it. So when you came in today, or if you were here on Friday night, you might have noticed that there are a whole bunch of faces around the room. And so what we're going to do as a practice in a couple of moments is to stand up and go and look at some of those faces. And all of those faces have kind of stories underneath them, just to give you a snapshot of what someone might be going through. And so this is an opportunity to just spend a bit of time saying, how does Jesus see this person? In an extremely non-confrontational way, because they're not looking back at you, so it's okay. So you can just stare at them, (laughs) and it's not going to be creepy at all. But it's an opportunity to be able to say, how does Jesus see this person? If Jesus was interacting with this person, what would Jesus say to them? What would Jesus want to do for them? So that's our first practice. And then this week on our podcast, there is an opportunity to take this a little bit further, which hopefully won't become creepy. But it is the opportunity to take the podcast and go somewhere where there are lots of people around. So you might go down the beach or go to a cafe or go to a shopping center, somewhere where you just know that there are lots of people. And to actually stop and look at them, to say, how does Jesus see these people? Again, hopefully it doesn't get super creepy and awkward, but it's an opportunity to be able to just pause and say, how does Jesus see these people? Am I allowing myself to be moved with compassion with the people that I'm interacting with? It's another practice that hopefully helps us to get better at that so that it becomes more natural when we're connecting with other people. So, for the next few minutes, I'm going to invite you to stand up if you're able to, and to wander around and have a look at some of the different pictures that are around. Do want to say, without wanting to make this awkward or school teachery at all. Uh, This is an opportunity to do exactly what we're talking about, practice looking and seeing the people who are there not talking to each other. There will be opportunities to talk to each other shortly and see each other in that way. But for now, we're just going to focus on the people that are on the walls. There'll be some background music on, and uh, we'll just do this for a few minutes, and uh, then we're going to come back together and pray and uh, sing one more song before we move into our time of being able to connect together. So as you're able, jump up, go and have a look at any of the faces How would Jesus see this person? Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for who you are. We're so grateful that you don't give us a list of rules that we have to follow, but that you give us a way of life that you practiced and invite us into. It amazes us that so often you were able to see people the way that you were able to see them, given everything that was going on for you. We know so often you were surrounded by crowds of people and noise and things that you needed to do, And yet you were able to stop and to recognise the people that were in front of you. And we're challenged about what it looks like to be people who are apprenticed to you, who want to follow in your footsteps and to live (laughs) the same way. We recognise that all of us have lots of things going on in our lives as well. And uh, we're often surrounded by so much noise too. And so we ask that as we move into this week, that you would help us to remember that you see us. We start from that point, that you understand exactly what is going on for us, you see us to the core of who we are, and that you're with us, that you meet our needs in that sense. But we also pray that you would continue to just give us little nudges about the ways in which we can see other people, the ways in which we can stop and look at them and see them the way that you do. And as we do that, that you would prompt us for the ways in which we can respond, for the little tiny things that we can do that often make such a big difference We ask that as we move into this week, you would continue to challenge us and inspire us about what it looks like to live as people who follow your way in the way of compassion. In your name we pray. Amen.